cut scot-free, we are all still believers of going to the movie theater and seeing theatrical films. And of course, we, we were, you know, we're helmed by a director who still very much believes in the theatrical experience. Um, so for us, it's saying, okay, well, what are people responding to? What do people want to leave their homes and go to the theater for? And can we find something that maybe isn't quite like a Marvel movie? Because obviously Marvel's kind of capitalized right. on that sort of, you know, so yeah. it's sort of saying, well, what are the films that can kind of hold their own? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Screenwriter Survival Guide. Today, I'm talking with Rebecca Fewer, who is the Vice President of Film and TV at Ridley Scott's Scott Free Productions. Rebecca, welcome to Screenwriter Survival Guide. Thanks for having me, Sam. Nice to connect. Yes, I know. It's been it's been a while. We've it's been a second. Uh, it's been a while since we've worked together. So I know. <laughs> yes. And then even then it was like I was in the office, but you'd only come in sometimes because of the COVID rules. So it was like, yeah, it was a uh, staggered. We had a, but... good, we had a good run pre-COVID. We had a yes. good run pre-COVID. <laughs> yes, in indeed. fact, in fact, I don't know if you remember this, but like right when you started as a PA, you really saved my butt. We were um working on uh our movie our friends and pre-covid oh yes to, remember that we had <laughs> yes. to, we set up that yeah, we set up was um uh we WME? set up a screening for all for all of the reps at wme because a lot right. of actors and people involved are rep to wme uh and you were somebody's decided to send you there alone i wasn't even really the one to put together the screening but somebody yeah. decided to send you there alone with a list and i said somebody should be there to help sam uh yeah. but it's okay we got through it um and in fact everybody over there was really lovely but yeah you no, save my butt in that way <laughs> yeah I, I I remember thinking that was so cool because I'd like never never done any uh never gone to like industry events like that at the time and I at the time I had no idea who anyone was um so I was just like it was a, a list of names to me I didn't know what what any of them meant or who was relevant or what the movie was I was I was supposed to be promoting so yeah totally. no, it was, well, but it was really cool it's also just a funny thing, even like, again, as somebody who's dealing with those reps, you know, at that time, you know, on a regular basis, sometimes you go so long with talking to people on the phone and never meeting them in person. Yeah. I remember my fear was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to stick my head in to see who's there. But like, actually not, <laughs> not there. know who anyone is. Yes. And like having the fear of saying like, well, I don't want to like do like a roll call because all these people are going to be like, yeah. you talk on the phone and you don't know who I am, but like, you probably don't know what I look like either. Yeah. It's right. like one of those weird yeah things about Hollywood yeah no I was just the only thing that that meeting I was like I was disappointed that Kristen Stewart didn't show up so I was like I really thought really thought she was was that was oh that my god was that someone no, else that no was, it wasn't it was, we're working was on, it? we're working on hers now but our right, friend right. was with um Dakota Johnson Casey yeah, Affleck and Jason right. Siegel who Dakota are Johnson, all yeah. reps at WME yeah. and our director is <laughs> reps at WME so at the time yeah. so um so yeah it was very much their affair so they got they got first dibs to, to see the nice. cut of the film so. cool Nice. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, all right. I always like to start off with your story. So what first drew you to this business? Uh, yeah, I don't know if it was like one particular thing. Um, I'm from Los Angeles, like literally born and raised mm -hmm. like next to UCLA, which I think uh, when a lot of people come into this industry, they actually don't meet a lot of a lot of Los Angeles natives. Mm -hmm. Funny enough, my colleague Sam Rossin is also an LA native. <laughs> so weirdly enough, Scott Free has two of us, whatever you want to call us, unicorns. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but it was it was a, a bunch of things. I think, um, you know, it was being here. And even though my family wasn't in the industry, always kind of having like an awareness, a proximity to what was going on, um, even if it was something little like, for example, 
the Golden Globes uh, for a long time were always held at the Beverly Hilton. And there was like a park down the street from my parents' house where that was kind of pretty close to the Beverly Hilton, but far enough away. And like all of um, every black car that would be dropping off, you know, a star or a director, whatever it was, would line up around this park to like <laughs> wait after they've dropped them off to wait and then go collect them for after parties, whatever mm-hmm. it is. So it'd be like little things like gla- quote unquote glamorous mm-hmm. things like that, um, that would kind of just, you know, would be there. So you'd always be aware of it. And I think it also then, um, it goes back to my parents. My parents grew up watching movies. So as a result, I grew up watching movies and just really loved them and connected with them on an emotional level. Mm-hmm. I had a performing arts background. I wasn't necessarily acting, but I danced, uh, which I loved for a very long time. And even though I kind of always knew I wasn't going to be a professional as like a piece of like an, I wasn't going to be a professional artist in any, in any way. Um, I liked the proximity to it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I, since I knew I wasn't going to be talented, I thought to myself, how else can I kind of explore my relationship with the arts? And it could have gone in a way where it's like, could I go, you know, somehow kind of manage, not be an artistic director of mm-hmm. sorts, but like manage a dance company um which I thought about but also it really just came down to like expressing my interest with like a guidance Mm -hmm. counselor at my high school at the time and he said well there's like a parent here at your school who is a who is a literary agent would you like Mm -hmm. to speak with him um and I said sure and I kind of just started it started there and the idea of like working with movies just seemed really fun because I have such specific film memories as I'm sure a lot of people do. And I thought, oh man, if I can make a film where somebody feels like a specific way that I felt watching this other film, then like, what a really, what a great job, like how cool it is to make people feel and move them, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great. It's, it's so fascinating to me to hear that from a, from a, um, the perspective of someone I grew up in rural New Hampshire, way away from, from Hollywood, about as far as you can get contiguously in the U S from Hollywood. Um, and so when you tell your guidance counselor when you're 17 years old um, that you want to go write film or work in film, sure. it's kind of like a, oh, <laughs> right. well, maybe consider something else. Yep. <laughs> uh, maybe consider teaching at a school that also has a film school, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, so in LA, if growing up in LA, do you find, did you find that like, people were more open in general I know you mentioned that your guidance counselor you know had this you know rep a uh, new right. agent but um but did you find that people in general are more open to the idea of like people going into people kids going into film if you come from yeah there? I think I think they're I I is that like a for sure thing I don't know but um I imagine everybody's more open to it because it's a proximity thing. Mm -hmm. It's an awareness thing. Like I said, even though my parents weren't in the industry, they knew people in the industry. Mm -hmm. My parents were lawyers. They were not entertainment lawyers, but they definitely definitely knew Mm -hmm. tons of entertainment lawyers. Um, uh, at the same time, I, I would almost, I would also imagine like, you know, proximity breeds contempt, right? So I can imagine there are people who would turn to their kids who are interested and say, no, I know too much. Don't do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Though I think what you're talking about sort of because it's so far away, it doesn't feel real was really a common, especially when I went to school outside of Los Angeles, when Mm -hmm. I went to college, um, I like have a distinct memory of when I was graduating from college, I actually still didn't have a job yet. I was interviewing, Mm -hmm. it was, there was a very long interview process, um, to get into a mailroom class at UTA. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy to talk about that uh, in a bit, Mm -hmm. but, uh, um, 
basically I was still without a job when I was graduating, but mm-hmm. my parents were like, it's, it's, it's going to be fine. We think it's right. going to be fine. And a lot of my friends, you know, had business degrees, had gone and gotten, you know, computer science and, you know, a lot of my friends were going to go be doctors. I went mm-hmm. to a school that had a very big pre-med program. And um, one of my close friends, parents who were meeting my parents for the first time at graduation, uh, they were also not that it means anything, but they were from the East coast. And, uh, they said to my parents, well, what are you letting your daughter do? That's not a real industry. That's not a real job. You've just, you know, wasted Uh so much money for her to get this degree and then go do like nothing. Um, which we completely understand. Like Mm -hmm. there is something that feels kind of fake about Hollywood. And then luckily my parents, they're so supportive and said, well, it's okay. She's 22. If she doesn't like it, Mm -hmm. she can always just pivot. Um, and luckily I I haven't pivoted yet, which is awesome, but, uh, it's, it's, yeah, I, again, I think, right. Because you're in LA and you're a bit more surrounded by it. It feels more real. Um, at the same time, I'm, I'm so thrilled to have met so many people. Again, most of my sort of entertainment friends and connections and community are really not from Los Angeles. And it's mm-hmm. awesome. Like it's not a small thing for people such as yourself to sort of, you know, take this big risk and uproot your life and come mm-hmm. to LA and try and figure it out. It's a really difficult thing, but, um, I'm hope glad people at least give it a shot for a while, even if it's just to experience Los Angeles, which mm-hmm. is a city that I love though. I know yeah. sometimes an unpopular opinion. <laughs> yeah. That's great. So you, you mentioned you're, you know, starting in a mail room um, at UTA. Um, so can you talk us through kind of how you went about getting that job and then kind of what your day-to-day looked like working in the mail room there? Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's changed and especially given the COVID of it all, I don't really know what it would be like to be part of an agent trainee class today, but at least in my time pre-COVID, um, I hope I don't say pre-COVID a lot on, <laughs> <laughs> as we chat. I apologize if I do, all good. Uh, but yeah, so basically, um, I sent in an application. That was the first step. I know mm-hmm. that sound, it sounds so simple. And I, I'm sure there are other ways, like if you know somebody at UTA or if you knew somebody at an agency to get mm-hmm. your resume in front of, you know, in front of HR, whoever it is, is definitely probably um, a somewhat easier way to do it. But I didn't have any connections at agencies. I would come home for summers to Los Angeles and do different, basically like development internships. Mm-hmm. And so the way I got to an agency, which wasn't something I initially thought of, was really just spending time with a lot of these assistants that I was working with over the summers. Mm-hmm. And not all of them, but a lot of them came from agencies and said, you don't want, if you don't want to be an agent, that's fine. Just tell them you do. Um, and go to an agency for a year Mm because it's going to be a little bit like going to grad school. They're just like these huge hubs of information Mm -hmm. and you're going to learn so much. Um, and I didn't necessarily take the approach of like, Oh, I definitely don't want to be an agent, but let's do Mm -hmm. this anyway. I kind of actually thought to myself, well, you might just like actually like being, you know, you might like the job of being an agent. So I said, okay, let me give this a shot. And in addition to a bunch of other jobs that I was applying to, I said, let me give this a shot. So I just sent in an application. Um, and incredibly they reached out and they, they were sort of like kind of three steps after that. There was a, sort of a three-tiered process. So the first thing I did is I took like a, I don't know if it was a screening call or like an, basically like an initial call slash interviewer mm-hmm. with one of their HR associates over the phone. Um, I then, uh, because I was still in college at the time, uh, that I was told like basically the head of HR wanted to meet with me, have an interview with me. Mm-hmm. So I flew home for like about 48 hours or something like that to have that interview. Um, and he seemed to like me in the room. So mm-hmm. he said, okay, the next step is that we'll put you in front of a panel. So they were really gracious to let me go back to Atlanta, graduate from school. I think I had like mm-hmm. three weeks left. So they said, all good, come back, which is why I did technically graduate without a yeah, job. Right. Um, 
which definitely, again, I think spooked a lot of people, yeah. but all good. <laughs> Came back home to Los Angeles. Uh-huh. And so then I was part of what was called a panel interview. And basically uh-huh. what that was is I actually came to UTA. There was about 15 other people there, like 15 other candidates, including a few people who ended up being in my class. Mm-hmm. And uh, you actually just go in one by one. You go into this conference room. And I think there was like about seven people, most of them agents, some of them from HR, from sort mm-hmm. of UTA's kind of like sort of foundational um, side of the business as well. Um and I think I was with them for about 10 minutes and they asked mm-hmm. me, I, I'm trying to remember, they asked me all kinds of questions. Um, I, I had heard from people that maybe they would ask you like the, if you could choose a kitchen appliance you could be and tell us why. And nobody did ask me that though. I did try to think of an answer beforehand, yeah. but they asked me like what I was watching, what sounded interesting to me about being an agent, what kind of people I'd want to represent, uh-huh. um, you know, which departments really interested me, um, you know, uh, things that I took from the internships that I had experiences, skills, whatever that was. Um, I also remember I was first in, Hmm. which was a little terrifying. And actually my, who, the person who, the agent who I then went on to work for a little bit later was also in the room too. I don't think I had fully realized that at the time. Uh, but then looking back on it, I was like, oh yeah, you were in that room, which I guess was not a bad thing at the time. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, you go through that panel. Um, and then I actually got a call a couple of days later asking me mm-hmm. to join um, the mailroom class of like July, 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then um, what you're doing in the mailroom on a day-to-day basis, it really, it really varies, which is quite nice. In fact, mm-hmm. I think even though you're starting at like the entry level position, what's really nice about how, how varied it is, that's so indicative of like kind of what I think sort of like, any position to an extent mm-hmm. as Hollywood is, even though I have like a jit, I like know what my day to day is in my job right now. Truly, there are different fires every day. There are different problems mm-hmm. to solve. You might be doing tasks that you never expected. You probably experienced that a little bit as a PA with mm-hmm. us, where it's like sometimes you're right. You're like picking up lunch for somebody. Maybe it's Ridley, whatever mm-hmm. it is, or you're like going to WME to like get the screening done. Mm-hmm. So I like the the variety so much, and I'm glad that that sort of starts at the bottom to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, you're well one you're definitely sorting the mail <laughs> like, it's, how, true like... to form. it's true to form you are sorting the mail um sorting the mail by agent and then you're delivering it you do a handful of rounds every day you also pick up things that agents need to go out I think really like the point of that is is to uh give your give new trainees as a sense to get it like really get an understanding of where everybody sits mm. where the where not even where the big agents are but like where agents are sitting where excuse me their departments are sitting um and so you just kind of get the lay of the land on a physical level but also it gets people to like see your face you see their face create recognition in that way and then you're kind of doing whatever else needs to be done whether it is going on errands or lunch runs sometimes you drive clients around I've done that before um uh sometimes it's covering a desk which is good because you do start getting desk experience in that way in the very beginning like in the first six weeks you do take like an hour every day and go to like school where they Mm. just talk to you about like you're going to be like and which are really helpful in the sense that like here are like the basic tasks that you're going to have to perform when you become a full-time assistant on somebody's desk. 
they take you through phone training, which sounds really silly, but is actually really huge because answering the phone in Hollywood and being on the phone is like one of those hilarious archaic practices that we still have, but is actually so important. Mm-hmm. Um, so they just take you through things like that. That's like for the first six weeks. Um, and then it's like literally any, again, like I said, anything else, sometimes it's an assistant saying, hey, I need your help with this project. Can you do that? Um, which is good because if you do a good job, they'll remember that and then remember you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of, of course, what else is you're doing is uh because there's a lot of turnaround in agencies for a myriad of reasons, desks can open up pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. And you're, if that's a department you're interested in, you're interviewing to be on that desk to become a full-time assistant to that agent. Um, so that's really kind of what you were doing on a day-to-day until mm-hmm. you got onto a desk. Gotcha. And so yeah. at what point did you realize, so you never were actually on a desk full-time. I you was. Never, oh, you were. Oh, I was. Oh, you were. I, I, so I was at UTA for 10 months. So I okay. basically almost hit my year mark. Uh-huh. Not quite. I was a little short, which most people didn't care about. But let me tell you, when I was interviewing for outside of UTA, some people were like, oh, but you're only like nine months into the job. And I thought, yeah. well, it's like literally whatever. Anyway, uh, <laughs> no. So I was actually in the mailroom for just about a month. Okay. Um, some people would, I don't think, and by the way, depending like the question of how long should you be in the mailroom? I don't think it really matters or varies. So like there were people in my class who got out of the mailroom within five days. And I thought wow. to myself, that's really fast. And truly it's just about timing. They were like, well, I wanted to be in the comedy department and, and the desk opened up right. and they said I could take it. So I'm huh. taking it. It's crazy. Um, at the same time, I don't think this happened to anybody in my class, but I knew somebody in a previous class she really wanted to be within the books department. And like the books Mm -hmm. team was only like, you know, like three or four people at the time. It was really small. And it just took a long time for somebody to get off of that Mm -hmm. desk to make it available. And she just stuck it out. Yeah. And now I think she's like an agent in the books department. So there you go. Um, But no, so I was in the mailroom for about a month. Um, I initially, funny enough, and I remember saying this in my panel interview, I did say that I really wanted to go into a TV lit desk. I was like really high on TV Mm -hmm. at the time, even though I really kind of came from a film background and Mm -hmm. with a lot of sort of film development experience. And uh, UTA has an incredible TV lit team. They represent so many fabulous writers and showrunners and everybody wanted to go over TV lit. And I was actually interviewing to be the assistant to three TV lit agents, which was Mm going to be a tough job that I was willing to do. Uh, and then, um, a partner over on the motion picture lit desk. So he mm-hmm. represents film writers and film directors. Um, he was looking for an assistant, and, uh, I was like, yeah, I'm still kind of interested in that. And this sort of process with the TV side was still going on. So my supervisor said, well, you feel free to take this interview as well. And we just really kind of clicked. And so he ended up hiring me, which I'm kind of glad in hindsight that mm-hmm. I didn't have to work. For, I didn't have to deal with like three bosses simultaneously right. because that isn't easy. Um, so I was with him for about, uh, well, so I was with him for basically nine months and mm-hmm. about like seven ish months into the job. Uh, he said, look, you're great. But I also kind of realized you probably don't want to be a talent mm-hmm. agent. Um, and I said, you're right. Like, I think I actually want to go be a producer. And he was awesome. Mm-hmm. He was like, that's fine. Stay on my desk and go find your producing job. So I took mm-hmm. the interviews for a couple of months um, and then moved over to Scott Free, actually. Gotcha. Wow, that's yeah. great. And yeah. did you find when you went over to Scott Free that most of the lots of, did you find you had to like, build an entire new entirely new repertoire of skills or do you feel like most of the skills you learned at UTA kind of transferred over to scot-free and- um or please 
No, no, I was done. Yeah. I, well, I was gonna, I, I think it, it's definitely both. I would say for a majority of the skills that I, I, I acquired at UTA definitely um, played into assisting at Scott free just because like to an extent assisting requires a lot of the same kind of skills. Mm-hmm. I think if there was anything new, um, I think it, again, like you're just uh, a producer's job and an agent's job. They're just, they're different days to day to that. So any skills that I picked up um, would just be different based on the nature mm-hmm. of the job. But at the same, I'd say like the big skills that overlapped listening, I feel mm-hmm. like, is that a skill? But it's a huge skill. Mm-hmm. Um, listening is huge. Uh, partially again, going back to the phones, you're usually kind of on your boss's calls, taking notes. Um mm-hmm. It was, it was probably the uh, biggest way in which I just learned about everything, listening to really smart people talk on the phone, seeing mm. what they said, how they said it, how they used info. I mean, not to make it sound like weird, but like how they used information, how they collected information, how they withheld information, but then brought it up later. Right. Um, I mean, I, not to say that this is a game. I think for the most part, actually, the people that I worked with are always really kind of fantastic and forthcoming and and how they want sort of the best, whether it's for a client or for a project. Mm-hmm. Um but there's just like kind of a way you do things that's beneficial to you, that's beneficial to whoever you're talking to on the phone, whatever that is. But listening is huge. And again, like I had bosses who wanted me to take notes on calls so they could sort of remember what they said later. So a lot of listening in terms of like what was important, how it was said, all mm-hmm. that good stuff. That was huge. Um, problem solving. That's like basically what this industry is, basically right. problem solving <laughs> until you get to the finish line and you have uh-huh. a finished pro- product. And um, I just like... I mean, you're problem solving your entire life, but there was just something kind of about it that's so different from the problem solving that you maybe have to do in school. Also, like I got an English right. degree in school, so it's not like <laughs> I was like problem solving so yeah. much all the time. But I, I again, so like I remember um, on my first day on the desk at UTA, if my boss had said, you know, I need to figure out the rights to see if like the rights, the film TV rights to this book are available. Well, I knew one way how to do that off the bat. It was something they taught me sort of at like the UTA kind of classroom mm-hmm. setting thing. You could always just send the book title along to, an, you know, an assistant in the books department. And obviously they have a lot to do, so it won't be immediate, but they'll try and come back to you with a rights check, you know, with clarity mm-hmm. on that rights check if they can. If I couldn't get anything from them, by the time I was off that desk, I had four other ways that I could try mm-hmm. and like figure out how to solve that, sort of solve that problem or get mm-hmm. to get the answer that my boss needed. Um, and I think that's huge because when you're on a movie set and your director says like, I need to do this and I need to get this shot. This is the end goal. They might have one way in mind, but that way might not be feasible. Mm -hmm. So you need to be in a mindset of like, okay, we can't do this, but can we do this and this and still get to the same results? Or can we do a combination Mm -hmm. of these things and still get to the same results? Cause that's just like, that's literally what producing is. Right. (laughs) Right. Doing that. Um, yeah, I think those were kind of the big things. Uh, but it's again, I think different, it's different in the sense, like, for example, I think um, depending on what kind of rep you are, maybe you don't always give tons of feedback on your client's work, whether it's a script or whatever it is. I think to an extent, a lot of good reps give a lot of feedback, but I think mm-hmm. the way in which they do that is probably different, like on how a producer gives feedback. And especially when it's written feedback versus vocal, you know, like, you know, er- verbal um, in the moment, face-to-face feedback. And like, 
there is an art to talking to talent, to all yeah. kinds of creatives, whether it's a writer or an actor or whatever it is. So in a way, there's actually a lot of overlap between reps and producers in that way. But I think mm-hmm. because your relationship with that piece of talent is kind of different between being a rep and being a producer, you go about it a different way. So right. similarities, differences. Yeah. Makes sense. So kind of expanding upon that. So I, I feel like, you know, for me, when I first started out and a little bit to this day, um, the idea of like, what a producer or creative exec is like actually doing day to day for the they're, they're clearly doing something and like yeah. working I'm, I've been working on an indie film recently and just working with the other producers on that I've definitely learned a lot more about you know what um what the role of a producer really is but could you talk a little bit more about that about what you are actually doing on a day-to-day basis when you're working at Scott Free? yeah so I'd say there's sort of like there's probably more than three facets, but let's say there's like three really big Mm -hmm. facets to my job. So one is it's got free. We have a slate of projects that we're actively working on. And it's not that I'm on every single one of those projects, but I'm Mm -hmm. on a handful of those projects. Um, Whether I'm the leading exec or I'm a supporting exec to somebody who's higher than me, all, all the, all that is to say, um, Obviously, my biggest goal is to get those projects that are actively on our slate out of development uh-huh. into production, into you know whatever screen it is that people uh-huh. are consuming the content. So all the time, I'm actively saying, what can I be doing to like keep moving this project forward? And uh-huh. it really depends on where it is. So if you're sort of in the script development stage, sometimes it means reading a draft that comes in. Sometimes it means putting notes together to get to that writer or filmmaker to Mm -hmm. make that draft better. Sometimes you're at a point where the script is really good. So you need to start figuring out a way to package it if that's what's best to do. So it's putting together lists of director ideas, of actor ideas, of buyers that you could take the project to. Um, And then when you get it to a point, for example, where it's going into production, you're involved in prep. So you're trying to do everything to deliver everything to basically both your director and your financier mm-hmm. to make sure they have everything they need to okay the cash flow and that your director has so they're okay to make their days. Mm-hmm. And that's helping hire department heads. It's being on set to, you know, problem solve things that happen mm-hmm. day of. Um, it's, it's, keeping reps informed it's 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 a million and one things but it's just anything to keep that project moving forward Uh as best as possible um uh maybe second in a way that's that probably takes up even more time than anything else is looking at material uh, Mm -hmm. considering material mostly it's scripts that come to us for our consideration sometimes it's and it's not so much that something that comes to our consideration but a lot of reps will say hey i just need you to know this person's voice Mm -hmm. i'm going to send you a sample of their work here's a script here's a film that they've made whatever it is that's just as important as looking at material to that's actually available to potentially put on your slate because especially for us since we're helmed by a filmmaker, we're talent driven in that sense that it's really exciting for us to connect with filmmakers whose voices we love because then mm-hmm. we can sort of develop an original idea or something they already have or a piece of IP, whatever it is, kind of from the ground up there, uh, which we really like to do. Not all producers are like that. And there's mm-hmm. no one right way to do that, but that's just the way that we like to do it. So obviously consuming a lot of material so people know it's exciting you know what to flag you know what to pass on which is Mm -hmm. a lot of things um and just also again consuming stuff kind of outside of whatever you're kind of receiving for your consideration whether it's going to the movie theater to watch movies or doing it at home Mm -hmm. watching tv shows reading um 
So you can go to your team and say, hey, this is an amazing voice that maybe nobody's paying attention to, or this is an amazing voice that's starting to get a lot of heat. Like Mm -hmm. we should be looking at that. Um, And that really kind of leads into like the third part of the job, which is like you are constantly growing and refining your relationships with your network. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's not so much just saying like, hey, I'm making friends with these reps. Like I said, it's developing a rapport and a relationship with talent as well. you can always kind of go through other people who kind of have the talent with them. Uh, but it's also really nice to be able to go to talent directly and say, Hey, I'm such a big fan of yours. Let's like mm-hmm. find this thing and kind of really have that great relationship going on as well. But really ultimately not to say that like, it's, it's not about, it's not always about like the size of your network, though size is helpful because the more people you have to call on to help mm-hmm. you solve a problem, probably the more likely your problem is going to be solved. Right. But also just like, again, maintaining those relationships. Um, Mm -hmm. because if I just meet somebody once and then have to call them with a huge favor in two years and I've never spoken to them again, that's not going to really fly or ask me to need help from them in some way. That's not going to really work. So it's, you know, there's a lot of upkeep in that. And if you're, Mm -hmm. if you're a social person, you might really find this job to be a lot of fun because it does require a lot of socializing. If, if you don't like to talk to people, it's a hard job. Um, and there's so much more that goes into it, but I think those really kind of were like the three main pillars of sort of what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. So I am definitely one of those people who has, I, I, have a tendency to let my network kind of atrophy. Um, and do you have any tips for that, for keeping, for kind of like cultivating your network? Like, so, cause I, I'm always worried that if I'm reaching out to someone, it's going to be very transparent that I'm doing it with a purpose of, of keeping that connection alive. So yeah. do you have any tips for how to naturally maintain connections when you don't actively need someone so you can, it sounds so icky, but so you can, you know, potentially it's use part them of the game. Line, it is. It's, it's, and not to say that this is an industry that's also a game, but it is sort of like part of playing the game. I mean, here's the thing. Um, if you're like me and you like have no issue doing like cold reach outs to people and just saying, Hey, like, I don't know anybody from your team would love to hear about what's going on. Is there a way to work together? They kind of know right off the bat that of course you're not necessarily doing that to like cash in on a favor two years mm-hmm. down the line. But there's like, a, you're saying like, look, there's probably a reason for us to get to know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, most of the time, if that person is a kind person and or has the time, uh, they usually say yes, or maybe they just say yes, because they too also kind of just want a relationship mm-hmm. there. Right. Um, I like to think um, like a majority of the time, it's just nice to connect with those people. And then Mm -hmm. it's always, you know, whether you need something or not, it's just nice to just send notes to people and over time and just say, Hey, hope you're well, happy new year. It's been Mm -hmm. a while. Hope everything's okay. What are you working on? Even just little things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, is such a, especially if you liked that person, if you don't like that person, then I don't know, maybe it's just like not a real, it's like, like maybe it's just not a relationship, you know, worth the upkeep. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of ultimately a personal decision you have to make. Here's the thing. This is a really tough job. It's a really Mm -hmm. tough industry. If you're only creating a network with people that you loathe to call, don't just, you don't want to do that. You don't, it's yeah. just like, it's not going to be worth it for right. you. So go seek out the people who are like speaking your language, mm-hmm. who do want to do this for the same reason that you want to do this. Like the best meetings that I usually have with people 
even generals like with talent i think when talent have general with the generals with us they're expecting us to come on say hi ask them about their life story and what projects they're working on and yeah for sure we do have that but a lot of the times mm -hmm. i just like to have conversations where we can talk about anything what right. you're watching what you like what you don't like about your family about the vacation that you took about the parking ticket that you got last week like all of that stuff because to an extent like not to say that everybody you connect with is going to become your best friend but there's a, there's needs to be a comfortable enough rapport and a sense of trust um that you can call somebody and whether they can be helpful or not they'll take your call and say you know let me you know let me hear you out what's up what's going on and also just to always say like hey here's what i'm doing and actually there mm -hmm. might that might just be the right time for for business to be done you uh -huh. know together whatever that is right. so my advice is you know maintain the relationships with the people that you want to you maintain and then it uh -huh. just you you it'll always feel organic to reach out to them even if like six months have passed it's still easy mm -hmm. to just say like hey what's going on it's been a second right um just like as you would socialize with your friends and how yeah. you choose your friends you know it's a <laughs> similar enough. process fair enough fair yeah. enough yeah I've, I've noticed there is a lot of bleed over between friends and connections um in this business for sure it is. I think that's right. And I think it's probably just because um, you spend a lot of time doing this job, mm -hmm. depending on what side you're on. Um, do I think you should have only friends from your job? <laughs> probably not, but that's maybe a different conversation yeah. altogether. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, so you were talking earlier about how you guys put together a slate. So I'm yeah. always very curious, like you as, as one member of the team, are you assigned like a genre or a, a certain tone to go out or are you just searching for anything and then bringing them to the table and then you kind of develop a slate there or is it more mathematical like okay we need this kind of project now mm. we got to find something that's within this um certain realm of uh you know it's it's you know a big sci-fi project or it's small sure. indie drama um so how does that kind of work when you develop your slate well for us, nobody specifically, nobody is like assigned a specific genre or anything mm -hmm. and saying you're the person who's going to only focus on that genre. Um, I think I, I, it's definitely not assigned. Everybody is allowed to review and consider everything. I think it's only natural that if you have very specific tastes that, um, uh, leads you into only wanting to read certain kinds of scripts and be the person who actively seeks out certain kinds of scripts. That's one thing, but it's not something that's prescribed by mm -hmm. our team in terms of our slate. Um, I think it's, it's a little bit of both in the sense that I, I think we're a great team in the, in, and a very kind of in a privileged position where we don't necessarily have to, uh, you know, we're not, we're not told that you have to go make, you know, two sci-fi films every year. Mm -hmm. Our slate can vary as much as we want. And for us, um, even though I think a lot of people assume that we're just in the sci-fi horror action space, mm -hmm. uh, that cannot be further from the truth, <laughs> which is really awesome. Um, which I'm sure you've seen kind of firsthand, yeah. uh, but, um, for us, it's sort of really about pushing quality, not so much being so genre specific. Mm -hmm. With that said, you know, and, and again, quality is kind of a relative term and everybody's kind of taste is their own. Um, but uh, we do have moments where we say, you know what, we actually have a fair amount of this sized or this type of project on our slate. So mm -hmm. maybe we don't want to bring too much of that on, but we don't necessarily say we must balance it with this one specific type of project. We say, mm -hmm. let's balance it kind of, you know, with others. I think the big question, of course, that's being asked and discussed at length all the time is what projects do you select based on how people consume 
content, which is, mm -hmm. of course, like, you know, the craziest question, especially for film, where obviously for television, it's a much mm -hmm. easier answer. Um, but for film, you know, we're, we're all, at least at, at Scott Free, we're all still believers of going to the movie theater and seeing theatrical films. And of course, we, we work, you know, we're helmed by a director who still very much believes in the theatrical experience. Um, so for us, it's saying, okay, well, what are people responding to? What do people want to leave their homes and go to the theater for? And can we find something that maybe isn't quite like a Marvel movie? Because obviously Marvel's kind of capitalized right. on that sort of, you know, so yeah. it's sort of saying, well, what are the films that can kind of hold their own outside mm -hmm. of a superhero movie if we're not necessarily mm -hmm. making those? And then I think, you know, when you go back to streaming, streaming is such a fabulous option for so many reasons, but it's also a numbers game. So you're saying to yourself, okay, well, how do you select projects that can kind of really stand out mm -hmm. when somebody has the ability to, sc to scroll through hundreds of titles right. and you want them to stop on yours? Mm -hmm. And there's no one answer. It's a really yeah. hard answer too. And it's you tough. know, you don't, it's, it's, it's tough and like, yeah. you don't really know if it works every time, but oh my gosh, you try your hardest, uh -huh. you know? Um, right. Uh, but yeah, again, for us, it's really quite open and, and sort of, you know, we all come to the table just saying this is about quality and we have certain elements to projects mm -hmm. that we really kind of want to feel always, it's really character driven, there's sort of an emotional reaction to it. Um, a vivid world where we don't prescribe what that world looks like. Mm -hmm. um, and if we do like something, we again, going back to those questions I said we talk about it extensively because one making a movie can take years of your life. So you've got to, it's, you've got to like it enough right. to say, okay, like I'm willing to dedicate an extended amount of time um, and energy to this. Mm -hmm. And also like, what's the plan? And is that, is that plan to move forward really a viable plan with sort of how people are viewing material and how things get made and what people say yes to. We're right. very much not like, um, with that said, we try not to like, uh, dictate what we make based on like what audiences are so hot on mm -hmm. that's sort of a weird thing to say out loud but just because Bridgerton is like one of the highest watched shows on Netflix which by the way I do like to watch and that's really fun mm -hmm. it's not like we're going back to the table saying okay now we must go find Bridgerton right. the next Bridgerton like right. we don't we're not necessarily doing it that way and frankly maybe other producers do do it that way mm -hmm. they see a lot of success but I think we're trying to make something that you probably haven't seen before that doesn't mm -hmm. feel as familiar or even if it does feel familiar we're showing it to you in mm -hmm. a different way you'd rather make the thing that people are then trying to copy in 10 years not right. uh, <laughs> not yeah, uh just exactly. make copies of the thing that was popular last year exactly yeah. for sure all right so i'd like to transition now into kind of a writer's relationship with um creative execs and producers so when you get a sample from a writer now what are you most interested in reading like a production ready sample that you think would be great for scott free slate or would you rather read or is there even benefit for you reading like just a sample that isn't production ready or like is totally too out there to sell, but you just know that this writer has a great voice and you want to see more from them? Yeah. Um, it's it's like a little <laughs> bit of I, I think uh -huh. at the end of the day, it's it's both to an extent. And that's mm -hmm. kind of just based on how we review material. I think at the end of the day, the writer's voice is everything. Uh, because depending on the, this, if that writer's voice is strong and that writer has the ability to sort of pivot to different genres or whatever it is, or to pivot to tell different kinds of stories, that writer is in a really good position to have a very long career. Um, but at the same time, we're like everything we look at. If, especially if it's just like a sample that we know is not available, you're still kind of looking at it with a sense mm -hmm. of like, well, if this was really excellent, is there a way for us to get right, on right. the movie, you know? <laughs> so we're always, 
looking at it as, is it ready to go? So my answer to writers is like, it should be a little bit of both. You should come. I mean, I'm sure this of course is like what you're thinking, but like uh-huh. you come with your best foot forward in the mm-hmm. sense that like, this is something that, that gives you a sense of my voice, but is also something that I want you to consider for your slate. Mm-hmm. And by the way, especially for us, it's Godfrey, we like weird. Sometimes mm-hmm. it does get too weird. Mm-hmm. And I like, oh man, like I, I remember reading the script right when I became a creative executive, like two weeks in, into me getting off of like an assistant desk and being an executive. And I just read this, uh, not to, I won't make it really long, but basically I just read this really cool thriller that was ultimately a coming of age story for this woman who was turning 30 and was just mm-hmm. like trying to find um, uh, like excitement in her life and decided that she needed to be a lot more proactive and going to find that excitement. Mm-hmm. But it just came in like this kind of weird not even genre bending. Well, it was like a horror thriller to an extent, but it, it just, it took an approach that you just not, would not have expected. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading it and feeling like, so like elated and floored by the uh-huh. read. And I just, at the time specific, and again, like it sort of depends on where we are in our slate and what we feel like we need or don't need at that moment. And it wasn't a script that we necessarily were as all the elements of the script weren't things that we were necessarily as mm-hmm. focused on. So I said to myself, like, I can't take this on right now, but holy crap, I'm so glad right. I read it because like yeah. now I just want to make everything with this writer. Right. Uh, so, and I, I'm at, I think um, there are producers on it elsewhere. So mm-hmm. they clearly thought nice. it was viable enough so to it be worked. made into. It's definitely the script that I'd go back to and go, what's happening with it? Maybe I'll pull yeah. it back over to me someday because yeah. I just thought it was so original and weird. Um, but uh, I do know, and it's funny that you said that yeah, the writers will say, by the way, I know this isn't viable, but it gives you a sense of my voice. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting how, whether it's a writer making that decision or a writer with reps kind of um, uh, strategizing to say, hey, mm-hmm. just write something that's never going to be made, but it's going to be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Again, I think it's, sh- I understand that the strategic decision, but like, mm-hmm. gosh, it should be both. And sometimes if you get that script right. into the right person's hands, it's going to be made into a feature. Mm-hmm you know, which is the yeah. goal always. Right. I think that's the thing. That should be the writer goal always yeah. have my voice and it potentially gets made into a feature. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. You know? it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of as writers are narrowing down, obviously it's tough to say like, what should a writer be writing? Because yeah. it's like a writer oh should gosh. be writing what speaks to them. Yep. But that being said, is there anything you're seeing in the industry right now that's that you're sick of, or you keep seeing samples like this, or there's just some trends that you're just very, you're just saying no to these scripts based on this trend you're seeing again and again. Mm. Uh, We touched on it a little bit. Like for example, Squid Game came out Uh and then, oh man, did we see, did we get a lot of calls (laughs) and projects of saying, this is Squid Game with this other comp, Um, which I completely understand in a way, like there are movies that sort of emulated Squid Game before Squid Game came out either, but obviously it was just capitalizing on a really hot Mm -hmm. moment in culture and in television content and trying to um, expand on that, which I don't blame anybody for, but it just, it's, it's so easy for it to become derivative or like, for example, and I, I, I'm sorry to use that word because it's sort of just like with a lot, a lot of art is kind of just borrowing Uh from other art and elevating, but it did feel too similar or like another, another example in which that happened is when Jordan Peele released Get Out. He was definitely not the, I mean, I think he did, I think he, that film is so important for so many reasons. And also I think it's, it's a great example of horror kind of having, 
know if I want to call it a rebirth, but like kind of an expansion. I think horror used to be kind of be considered just like a one sort of thing uh, many years ago. And now it's actually, I think in a way it's because it's so hard to just kind of make independent dramas these days. Horror is kind of a great way to sort of tell a dramatic story with this kind of genre uh, (laughs) structure around it. Um, But, oh man, I I mean, Get Out came out and then everybody would say, oh, this is in the vein of Get Out and, you know, this. So again, you have to use comps. You don't Mm -hmm. have to use comps, but comps are used to their benefit to help a reader understand the tone and structure and storytelling decisions from a writer. And it's not bad. Um, But when it all kind of floods in after the success Mm -hmm. of something, that's, that's a little hard. And again, that's almost, that's not even the writer's fault. Maybe that's like Mm -hmm. their, their reps issue of, you know, anyway, so I, I, it's not even like a trend that's happening, but it's definitely something that you see. I don't know if this is like a new trend, but I think the, the thing for writers is we put a script down when we don't love the characters. I think mm-hmm. um, that sounds so obvious, but you'd be shocked how many scripts mm-hmm. we read that have very weak characters. And I think it's because, especially in the genre space, like if you're making a sci-fi, it's the, the um, it is so difficult to get people to engage, mm-hmm. especially just in this like technology driven world where it's so easy to create a different world. And yet, so people are doing it all mm-hmm. the time. So to like really wow people and pull them in, especially mm-hmm. on, from a visual standpoint, is really hard. It is very hard. Right. Um, so I think sometimes like just to use sci-fi as an example, a lot of the times people are too focused on the details of the world, which isn't bad. It's great to have um, a really vivid world to help my read, but they've completely just let go of the characters. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think to myself, like, what are the movies that I love to rewatch over and over again? Even movies that, you know, take place in a non, you know, contemporary day, you know, setting. I love them because of the characters and not Mm -hmm. the world. The world is awesome but the characters are really why I'm there. Just right. think of like, if you think about the movies that there's probably very few movies that you've rewatched just because the world is enough or because right. the other elements are enough and the characters are whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so that's, yeah. It's not a new trend, but it's a trend that I no, always but it's good. pay attention to your characters. <laughs> They're everything. They're everything. Yes. Fair enough. So do you think it's more important for a writer to be trying to get uh, their script on to say, your desk or the desk of another producer or creative executive or to be focused more on like getting into a writer's room or getting kind of uh, an agent or something like that like what do you think is the best use of a new writer's time besides writing I actually think the best well writing for sure Mm -hmm. next to that I think, uh, and again, if, if you're not, I, I mean, it's not easy to do and it's not as, it's not always required, um, for kind of, again, the talent. And when I say talent, I don't just mean actors. I mean, writers, mm-hmm. director, you know, actors, all those people, mm-hmm. um, it's not as big of a requirement for a piece of talent to be social or whatever, mm-hmm. but frankly, <clears throat> I would say it'd be very helpful to that writer in addition to writing to continue to expand their network. And that doesn't yeah. necessarily mean you have to like then go meet a bunch of executives because that's really hard to do. And frankly, that can be really daunting, but expand your writing network. If you were somebody who writes alone, how do you meet other writers? How do you right. share your work? And I think um, 
that just helps in every sense because if it's about getting into a writer's room, if it's about getting the exec to read your script, it really kind of depends on what your goal is. So because like, if you're somebody who are like, I just need to make features, like I just have to write features, that's what I'm gonna do. Um, it doesn't hurt to get yourself into a television writer's room, but if like TV isn't your passion, it's, I don't know if that is the best mm -hmm. use of your time. Um, whereas opposed to like connecting yourself to people in the future space and seeing how far that gets you. But I say, so I go back to saying, you know, work on your relationships and work on your networks because you don't know who you're talking to and what they can ultimately just end up doing for you in the future, mm -hmm. whether it's a writer friend who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows me mm -hmm. and says, hey, you should read this person's writing. And that starts a chain of effects and you don't know who I'm going to send it to mm -hmm. where that could start of a chain of effects. Or if, for example, if it is your goal to get into a television writer's room, that's not an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. You never know, again, expand your network and you never know who you're going to kind of meet mm -hmm. and say, oh, actually, I know this person who knows this person who liked your sample. And actually, maybe you can be the writer's assistant to the showrunner or maybe whatever it is. Mm -hmm. You can be the script coordinator or whatever that is. So that's kind of, to me, that seems like a good right. use of it. And like, take, take whatever steps you need to. Maybe it's not like about going to some kind of writer exec mixer. Maybe it's about sort of like joining, I don't know if it's like a writing class, but like a writer's group and, mm -hmm. and starting there. But again, like go for the people that you're interested in hanging mm -hmm. out with. Cause it just makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people, for a lot of people, that's like the answer of just like, keep plugging away at making more connections in the business it's yeah. like it's obviously the right answer I think there's a it's so tempting to be like but I want to do this now with my script yep. and I think the tough thing is like I had scripts three years ago that I thought were definitely ready to get made and I look back at those scripts now and I'm like oh god right could never be made in a million years they're terrible and so I think the the other nice thing about what you're saying about just focusing on building your network because it gives you time to write more and if you're focused more on just building your network especially without a direct ask in mind now mm -hmm. and you know an ask might come down the road or maybe it doesn't and you know you've just like shared your script with someone and they share it with someone mm -hmm. um that lets you write more scripts and get better as a writer as well before yeah. you know starting to actually pitch yourself around to places that and also again like here's the thing it's because you're so in your own head in your own world as a writer you're right there's a moment where you're like oh wow this is really good and of course mm -hmm. once you get distance from it you go back and you say actually I've grown so much mm -hmm. in this process but also you know how to get better because you also allow people to you get more eyes on your stuff and again mm -hmm. you can only do that if you have other people to turn to right. um to give your give your script to and get those eyes on I mean again like Feedback is a really difficult thing. And for, for anybody, whether it's a writer, whether it's me getting feedback on how I do my mm -hmm. job, feedback is really difficult, but also it is like the best thing you can get to keep mm -hmm. things going. Cause it's like only, a, there is no script that I read that is perfect, that is ready to go to shoot, that we never do any right. notes or passes on. That right. is like a complete lie. Whoever thinks that they are delivering uh -huh. a script, unless I guess like, I don't know, because he seems to do it all himself. Maybe it's Aaron Sorkin. I have no <laughs> idea. But that's like, that is, it's 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 pretty basically impossible to get a uh -huh. script that's so perfect. So learning how to give feedback, which is a big part of my job and learning uh -huh. how to take feedback, which is a big part of the writer's job and grow from there. Mm -hmm. That's like literally how movies get made. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. If so, nobody accepted feedback, nothing would get made. Right. So. Yeah. Feedback. So <laughs> let's say somebody ignores all that. Sure. Sure. <laughs> and wants to ask you to read their script. Yeah. How and when 
do should they how how should they go about it how do you like to be asked and when like at what point in a relationship do you like to be asked um if you don't know me and you're reaching out to me on LinkedIn, which happens a lot. Uh, apologies, I'm not accepting your uh-huh. request on LinkedIn. Uh, one, because I just don't use it that much, but two, I'm not going to read your script. And it's uh-huh. not because I don't know you. I mean, I think this is the thing. Um, I get a lot of scripts to read uh, written by people I do not know, uh, but they're coming from people that I usually do know. They're mm-hmm. coming from reps usually that I do know, or they're coming through mutual friends who I do know, who. I like his people who are not reaching out to me to waste my time mm-hmm. uh, and whose taste that I trust. Uh, so even if it's like not a total, you know, hit or miss or whatever it is, that's okay. There was probably a mm-hmm. really, it, it was probably still worth my time to read the script. And even if I don't love the script, but I loved what it, it entailed, or I loved, you know, this person's background that I knew what it came from, I still might want to meet that person. Mm-hmm. And then there's still so much to be had there. Um, so if you don't know me and you reach out, probably not the best way to do it. I think a lot of people probably don't want that. I think, Uh again, it's not like I have to be your best friend in order for you to ask Mm -hmm. me to read your script, but there should be a rapport there. So Mm -hmm. like, for example, with you uh, working as a PA at Scott Free, just through working together, you Mm -hmm. were able to get to know me a little better. And I think, uh, you know, after after some time, it's appropriate for you to say, hey, Mm -hmm. it's really my goal to be a writer. I would love it if you could take a look at this script and, Mm -hmm. and give me some feedback. And frankly, if you say, by the way, I don't want any feedback, that's probably not a good sign either because it's just indicative of like kind uh-huh. of how you roll and how yeah. you feel about your work and yeah. how it's going to be hard for you to work with people. But, um, uh-huh. you know, again, I think it's developing a little bit of rapport. So it's definitely also maybe not two weeks after somebody gets uh-huh. to know me either. Right. Uh, not to say that you have to know me for years, but it's, it's, I, there's no like specific amount of time. I mm-hmm. think it's just kind of about feeling it out saying, you know, I also like to think I'm a pretty approachable person and I'm not just going to snap at you and say, no, I'm not going to read your script uh-huh. and say, Hey, it's not a good time for me right now. Uh-huh. Come back to me in a couple months or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely establish a rapport. And I think mm-hmm. the way to also do that is be, you know, consuming content in any way, whether it's mm-hmm. you're kind of reading or watching or anything. So when you have those moments with a person that you want to want, want to read their script, where you're kind of not talking about anything, but you're talking about what you're watching or mm-hmm. what you're reading and what you like, or you don't like, it's helpful for that person to know kind of where you stand. Right. You guys have completely, <laughs> on completely opposite end of the spectrum in terms uh-huh. of taste. That person still might say, yeah, I'll read your script. Right. I don't know if they're going to like it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but you all, you always run that risk. You do. Yeah. Whereas of like, exactly. you're kind of on the same wavelength. It's a lot easier for somebody to ask and it's a lot per- easier for that person to say yes to mm-hmm. and yeah. a greater chance that they're probably going to like what you've done yeah makes sense you know makes sense yeah no it's uh it's very yeah it's um it's great yeah thank you i know i'm so sorry <laughs> to all those people who reach out to me on linkedin like don't take it personally i just literally couldn't do that i could not yeah. i would never no, be able to get back to you it takes a lot of time to read a script it does. It's, uh, it's a pain and like there's one thing to go sit like i usually listen to scripts i usually like play them on oh, good a, for you. an audio reader and i go take a walk and listen to them but that's one thing if i'm just like reading like listening to my own script or something to get give myself like feedback to mull it over i'm listening to like you know chinatown or something that's one thing but like when you actually have to like read a script and take notes on a script and be like give feedback because if i say i'm going to read someone's script i always want to give them notes and i want to give them feedback on it i don't want to yeah. be like yeah that was good cool you know i, I don't want to be like oh I, overall i liked it then but like nothing, nothing else specific. that's useless. exactly yeah. it's it's useless you want to be <laughs> exactly so useless. i i always feel i 
it's so tricky because my, my, my pile of reading is endless and it's endlessly high. And sometimes I, I, I'm so, I truly am so apologetic, but sometimes it will take me like a couple months to like read somebody's, you know, whatever. Right. And they're like, Oh my gosh, Rebecca, like, what are you doing? I'm like, dude, I'm like uh-huh. really trying yeah. to like give you helpful feedback. Yeah. So otherwise I'm just going to come back to you and be like, thanks not for us. Talk yeah. to you later, which yeah. is like one, that's like the worst way to pass. Don't pass like that. If you're a producer, um, and, and, and two, it's like, it's definitely not helpful to the relationship mm-hmm. if you want to maintain it. And it's not helpful to the writer who just literally spent so right. much of their own time, <laughs> you know, uh, in their world, trying to figure out their story and, and like, it doesn't help them move forward in any way, mm-hmm. even if it's positive feedback, like yeah. it's, it's, it's just good to get that. So yeah, if I'm ever late in reading your script, it's because I'm literally trying right. to like <laughs> get coherent thoughts down so it can be helpful to you yeah. and to me. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I have, I have my people that I reach out to when I need feedback, like really good feedback. And then I have people that I know will not give me good feedback, but they're going to say it's good. And I have people and those people, sometimes you need to go to those people too. And I'll send it to them like right before I like send it to a producer or to an executive or someone, I'll send it to those people because I need someone to tell me it's good. And I'm like, yeah, Yeah. okay, it's good. Now I feel good. I'll send it out. Even if it's just totally placebo effect in my head, it still helps. (laughs) I, I completely understand that view and it's important to have those friends, but Uh it's equally important to have the friends who will say, by the way, you need to really look at this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, that's, and obviously that's infinitely more important to, well, to have people to tell you, know you it sucks. It's mostly it sucks. important in general to have a cheer squad. And I think a cheer squad, like your support system, your mm-hmm. support group in life for whatever it is, your job, personally, whatever you're going to have, you're going to have both of those. Mm-hmm. I definitely have friends who will say to me, like, no matter what, like, Hey, Rebecca, you were worked on this movie and like, Oh, like we loved it. It was mm-hmm. great. And then some people who were like, I did like it, but here's where I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And like in moments it is hard to hear yeah. that feedback. Um, and, uh, and other times you're like, Oh yeah, that's so right. Cause it's only going to yeah. be helpful to you as you continue on in your yeah. journey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think that's a good place to start to wrap up. Um, this, I always end with this last question, which is your screenwriter survival tip. So what's the number one thing you would tell a young screenwriter to help them not only survive, but thrive in this industry? I'm so curious to see if you've gotten this answer before, uh, have hobbies, Mm -hmm. have friends who are not in the industry, Mm -hmm. go get yourself some life experiences, uh, cause it's going to make you, um, one, a better person, which is kind of the most important mm-hmm. thing. And two, a better writer. Mm-hmm. I think people who just sit and write based on what they know from whatever life experience they had prior, but don't get anything new, will be able to write scripts for a while, but then eventually they're just going to be writing about the same thing that feels really old and stale. Go get life experience, mm-hmm. whatever that means to you, whether it's, you know, if you find yourself in a moment where you have to take on another job, that's really hard. And I completely yeah. understand that, but also look at it as like, oh, wow, a different p- perspective for me to consider mm-hmm. when I'm telling stories, you're in this position, Sam, where you're going to be, you know, traveling to very mm-hmm. different places. It's a great way to get life experience. And even like hobbies fall into life experience. So you're not just mm-hmm. spending all of your time, 24 seven writing, mm-hmm. take breaks, whether it's your person who likes to go take walks and listen to content, mm-hmm. go play, you know, I'm a, I like to go play tennis with my boyfriend. I love to cook mm-hmm. all of those little things that allow your brain to just get some rest and come back a bit more creatively replen- mm-hmm. replenished are hugely helpful. And you never know what kind of story is going to come out of a personal experience mm-hmm. or some, some experience that's connected to something that you're really interested mm-hmm. in. Um, 
So I know there's this feeling from the industry where like, you have to be on it and in it all the time. Mm -hmm. It is so good to take breaks from it Mm -hmm. in a serious way. So don't only talk to friends who only want to talk industry shop. Mm -hmm. That's like such an easy thing to fall into. Talk to friends who are not in this at all, because Mm -hmm. you don't know what they're going to get. And again, this isn't all from like the perspective of go seek this out. So you have better stories to tell, do it because it's just better for you. Do it Mm -hmm. just because it's better for you in general. You don't have to be on all the time. It's too hard to be on. It's exhausting. Mm -hmm. And then you get to the point where you can't write anymore. And that's not good for you. And it's not good for us. We're trying, we're waiting Mm -hmm. for your great stories. Um, So yeah, have hobbies stay close to your friends, take your vacations, do all that stuff that everybody says you don't need to do. That's that do all the stuff. That's not part of the grind. The right. grind's crazy. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's what I'll say. That's great. I have, I've never gotten that as a screenwriter survival tip. I don't think I have gotten that advice before, but I think that's just because it's fantastic advice and it yeah. is, oh, thanks. It, you can, <laughs> you can, uh, uh, people will hear it a bunch of times. They'll hear it 20, 30 times. They won't do anything about it, but, um, it is, it is important. And it's also like, like you said, it's very important for yourself. It's also like, why do you think every show is about a screenwriter living in LA or every, yeah. every movie, every time, like every Stephen King book is about a writer doing something uh, in Maine. And yeah. it's because if you only have one life experience, now Stephen King is a fantastic writer, obviously, but um, it is the case across the industry that there's just way too much content that takes place in the film business in LA. And it is because people just spend too much, so much time. So that's much the time? only, yeah. they say, write what you know, and that's great. Unless what you know is is something that we've seen a hundred trillion times. Absolutely. And here's the thing, like, and I, I not to belabor the point, but um, uh, you and I talked um, many months ago, kind of about like what the sort of future of the industry mm-hmm. would look like, sort of, sort of outside of LA, and mm-hmm. can it really kind of can continue to exist in a post-COVID world? Um, without just having to be at the center of Los Angeles or New York. And I said probably, and I still kind of stick by that. And I think that's really kind of more. Uh, likely for talent again, mm-hmm. be- just because it's going to be so much easier for people to say yes to doing a Zoom with somebody mm-hmm. who's not based in LA and not care and not feel like because that pre pre COVID getting on not even Zoom getting on a Skype with somebody which like Skype I will never <laughs> use again like getting on a Skype with somebody was kind of a last re- resort uh-huh. and shockingly it was a bit of an inconvenience uh-huh. and just like wasn't quite the same yeah. and sure it's always really nice to like shake somebody's hand and sit down with them in person mm-hmm. but that's just something that again like shouldn't be required, especially for like the, the monetary, um, uh, struggle that comes with moving to Mm -hmm. Los Angeles. That's not an easy feat. And, you know, the way writers make money is, is not, um, a a traditional way. It's not like having Mm -hmm. a nine to five job. Even if you have a nine to five job tacked on top of that, that's not Uh always enough. Um, I hope for talent, it gives them a lot more flexibility Mm -hmm. to not have to be in Los Angeles. One, it's probably very replenishing for them to not always be in that kind of energy that maybe Hollywood really puts Mm -hmm. out. And it's just frankly not as necessary because again, I think like the world of Zoom uh, is actually going to really suffice enough Mm -hmm. and be able to create a lot of connections. I've had plenty of meetings where I feel connected to that person over Mm -hmm. Zoom uh, in these past, you know, two, two and a half years. And then, you know, as, as always, talent comes in as necessary. If you're going to pitch, it's awesome to pitch in person. If you're trying to like become a director on a huge studio movie, you obviously want to take those meetings Mm -hmm. in person, but it doesn't have to be constant. I think that becomes, um, so I'd say like writers, directors, you're probably in a pretty good, you're probably in a good, pretty good place to like, Mm -hmm. you know, 
not be in Los Angeles. I think if you want to be a producer, if you want to be an agent, a manager, things like that, you got to be in LA. I mean, uh, if you're really connected and you've been doing it for a long time and you want to go out on your own and you have those connections, you can always turn to, that's a different story. If you're just starting out your career, you probably got to be in LA and New York because it is where the action is because it is great to meet people in person and put faces to names in that way. Um, I don't know what that's going to look like in 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say now. So as a writer, right. go forth, get out of nice. your LA apartment <laughs> and, and, you know, see the world and, and have your, have the home that you want, where you uh-huh. want, have that view. It right. does not have to be, it does not have to be the Hollywood sign. Right. All the time. Perfect. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Rebecca. Yeah. Um, Everybody, thank you so much for listening to this chapter of Screenwriter Survival Guide. If we are delivering any insight or value to you, please drop us a comment on YouTube or rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to follow so you can get every new chapter as it airs. I know I've been teasing it a lot, but I promise our second full season is just around the corner and we are going to be delivering covering a process that I think you will all find fascinating. But for now, you can find the show online at screenwritersurvivalguide.com and you can find me on Instagram at Sam Brooks Presents. Until next time, guys, don't just survive, thrive. Mm-hmm.